Next Chapter Podcasts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If there was ever a song that I wish I knew about when I was a bar mitzvah wedding DJ, this is it. You put this on during a bar mitzvah, dude, the bubbies, the ant bubbies, whatever, they are cutting a rug. The song is Having a Party by Sam Cooke from his 1963 live show, Live at the Harlem Square Club, 1963, and it is also number 439 out of 500 on the Spotify original, The 500, with me. I'm Josh Adam Myers. I'm the King of Fleece. The King Cadougal, and if you're listening to this right now, you're a Cadougal and you're in the Fleece Army. And you're listening to the only podcast where we're going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the top 500 albums. And dude, sometimes we get a record that immediately I'm just like, wow, and this one was it. So hopefully you guys did your homework. Listen to this record, man, on Spotify because it is phenomenal. Also, do some Instagram stories, guys. Show me how you're listening to the 500. Take a screenshot, put that on Instagram stories, tag me at Josh Adam Myers, put a hashtag Fleece Army, put a hashtag Doogle Doogle, and just get the word out. Tomorrow night, guys, January 9th, I'm doing a shimmy shimmy ya at the Comedy Store with Anthony Jeselnik and Brian Callen. That's the show where comedians give away real things from their life. So if you come, not only can you get meth syndicate t-shirts who are my buddies but you can also get Brian Callen's t-shirts that he used to wear years ago it's dope and tickets are at thecomedystore.com so make sure you go and get them but more importantly January 10th this Friday I will be on Bill Burr Presents The Ringers on Comedy Central at 11pm set your DVRs or watch live I am really excited about this because it was an incredible set Recorded by like 14 cameras in front of an incredible audience. I can't thank my man Bill Burr enough for everything that he's done for me. This is really an honor, man. I really wanted to get stand-up on television this year. And uh, we're doing it like within the first two weeks. So I'm telling you guys, when you get with your gurus, you know, meditate, set set the seeds, plant them. Water them, let them grow, pick the fruit, eat the fruit, and then you too can manifest your destiny. All right, a little bit about this record, guys. So this is a live album by the American singer-songwriter and legendary king of soul, Sam Cooke, and it was recorded at Miami's Harlem Square Club on January 12th, 1963, but it wasn't released until June of 1985. And I'll get into that in a moment. Let's tell you a little about Sammy Lammy. Born in Clarksdale, Mississippi in 1931, Sam Cooke, who spelled his last name without the ending E, 
was the fifth of eight children of the Reverend Charles Cook, a minister in the Church of Christ, and his wife, Annie May. The family moved to Chicago when Sam was a few years old, and by the time he was six, he was already singing with his siblings in a group called The Singing Children. That's the worst group name I have ever heard. That's my, that's uh, this basketball team. They're the basketball playing kids. By 1945, the 14-year-old Cook formed and sang lead in the gospel group The Highway QCs with a group of his fellow Highway Baptist church friends. He left them in 1950 and joined the Soul Stirs, the famed gospel group whose career started in 1926 and continued for over 80 years by replacing members much like Menudo. The Soul Stirs were highly influential on the development of secular African-American musical styles like doo-wop, soul, R&B, and Motown. A lot of that success was due to Cook's voice, charm, and good looks, which turned on many younger female fans to gospel music. In 1956, after six years with the group, Cook decided to pursue a solo career. His first single was released under the name Dale Cook, so as not to alienate his gospel fan base. However, his unique voice was easily recognizable, so by 1957, he was recording under his own name, and that's when he threw the E to Cook as a small attempt at reinvention. His first single was a song he wrote called You Send Me. Such a great song. A crossover hit which spent six weeks at number one on the R&B charts, as well as three weeks at number one on the pop charts. Over the next five years, Cook released 10 albums and many singles on two labels, which included other hits he wrote like Wonderful World, Chain Gang, Cupid, and Twistin' the Night Away. His label, RCA Victor, decided it was time for a live Sam Cooke album. So on January 12, 1962, in Miami's historically African-American neighborhood of Overton, he took the stage at the small Harlem Square Club to play to an audience packed with his devoted and adoring fans. His band that night was Clifton White and Cornell Dupree on guitars, Jimmy Lewis on bass, Albert Gardner on drums, George Stubbs on piano, and King Curtis and Tate Houston on the saxophones. The record was to be called One Night Stand, but when RCA Victor heard the results, they decided it didn't represent the type of mainstream appeal they were cultivating for Cook. It was too raw, too loud, and let's be honest, too black. It was shelved and forgotten about while Sam's popular career continued. Between 1957 and 1964, he had over 30 U.S. Top 40 hits. Tragically, by the end of 1964, the following year after this recording, Sam Cooke would be shot and killed under mysterious circumstances in Los Angeles. He was only 33. He then had three more posthumous Top 40 hits. Cut to 21 years later, when in 1985, a record executive named Greg Geller discovered these live recordings and after adding a few instrumental overdubs, quickly released this album. Despite this showcase of Cook's raw power, versatility, and charisma, Geller understood why the record company at the time decided to protect Cook's image as a pop crossover artist. Geller said, the fact is, when he's out on the road, he's playing to a predominantly, almost exclusively black audience and he was doing a different kind of show, a much more down-home, down-to-earth, gut-bucket kind of show than what he would do for his pop audience. To this day, this album is considered one of the greatest live albums of all time. I'll second that. And speaking 
of bringing stars down to earth. My guest today has been working with the stars his whole life. The astrophysicist, author, science communicator, podcast host, television host, the director of the Hayden Planetarium at the Rose Center for Earth and Science in New York, the one and only Neil deGrasse Tyson. You know him from The Cosmos, which thankfully is making its return in March 2020. Maybe you know him from some of his books, like his brand new book, Letters from an Astrophysicist, which you can go out and get on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, which any way you get your books. Accessory to War, Astrophysics for Young People in a Hurry, and Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Also, he's the host of the podcast, Star Talk, where he talks about space, science, and pop culture, everything, and he's incredible. Man, was this a fun episode to record. Not only did we record it in the office of the National History Museum in New York City, but this dude is a Sam Cooke crooner fan. So I couldn't be more excited for you guys to listen to this. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on Spotify or anywhere you get your pods. But listen on Spotify. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, guys, nothing left to say, but here we go. Here we go. With number 439 out of 500 with Live at the Harlem Square Club 1963 by Sam Cook. That's the sound of the Neil working on the DeGrasse Tyson. That's the sound of... You could have joined in, you know. No, because I'd never worked on a chain gang. So I'm not, <laughs> not participating in a chain gang song. Um, so tell me about like how you got into Sam Cooke. Like, have you, you've been a so fan. So you have Sam Cooke on the brain. Sam, Sam Cooke is on the brain. So you, mu- you are clearly not alone in this universe feeling that way. Yeah. Because in my book, Letters from an Astrophysicist, someone wrote in asking me, am I a Sam Cooke fan? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's in the book. <laughs> so what I said, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of all the crooners of that era, no yeah. more or less, but Sam Cooke is definitely in there. But I'm just I'm intrigued that you you you're not alone. So it's just some random random per- complete. Oh, he follows it by um, why do you think we exist? I mean, that's <laughs> the obvious next questions. question. <laughs> Are you a Sam Cooke fan? Why do we exist? <laughs> Please explain evolution in detail. So tell me about the new book. Oh, it's people. It's called Letters from an Astrophysicist, and it's people who've got deep questions. I think that person slipped in the Sam Cooke one because he's a Sam Cooke fan. Yeah. But that was just the lead-in to why are we here. There are people who I think – I've thought about this. I think most people have never even met a scientist, much less can claim one as their friend. Yeah. So suppose you have some dilemma in your life, and you're just wondering, how would a scientist attack this problem? Or how might an astrophysicist – think about this from a cosmic perspective. Of course, not everyone is asking themselves this, but enough people do that it formed the corpus of letters in this book. It's 101 letters of people with all kinds of backgrounds c- gathered together for this volume, that I put together in this volume, 
that are probing things like if you're raised in a particular religious tradition yeah. and later on you learn mm. about science that could conflict with it this this is a dilemma for you what you, what are you going to do there are people who saw lights in the sky and wonder is could it be aliens or is it not there are people who would not write about that because they're just sure we're visited by aliens but those who do are genuinely curious what other points of view might bring to this question that they carry and so these are the people who whose letters have appeared in this book with my replies so uh, you might find one of your own questions in there or one of your own uh, points of curiosity expressed by others uh, in this book so yeah it's quite a collection there's some letters I I well up just reading sure, a second I can time. Imagine, yeah. There's some person who says, look, my doctor said I got six months to live. And I just want to thank you for keeping my retired life enriched with learning opportunities. I've read all the books and videos. He's an old guy. He's got six months. And he said, don't cry for me. I've led a full life just, uh, just saying goodbye. And I was like, damn. Oh, wow. You know, this yeah. is... Um, there's another person. Please who, tell me there's more lighthearted <laughs> letters because I don't know about okay. yes, past page five. Oh, there's, there's, like... That's the letter on that's in the chapter on life and death. There's another chapter on, on hate mail. Okay. Oh wow. There's a, there a couple of light that the lightest letter in the book is in the hate mail chapter. Uh, that's a letter from a ten year old who was pissed off learning that I had something to do with the demotion of Pluto. I think she must have just memorized the planets in sequence and now had to, like, unmemorize the, the, the sequence. So do we have that there in facsimile so you can get to see the misspellings and the, the it's hard for kids to write on a straight line. Yeah. So that, that, letter, that correspondence is in there with, with my reply. Uh, so um, there's a whole chapter on parenting. Um, there's, uh, you know, people just trying to, what do you do with a kid who's curious but maybe or they're not curious and you want to help them become curious. So my lesson there is you should have free-range children. All right? <laughs> Let them do whatever they want, as long as it won't kill themselves. Yeah. Even if it might break something in your house, let it break. That's part of the experiment. <laughs> if they reach up for an egg sitting on the counter, what's your first, as a parent, what are you going to say? Yeah, get off that egg. Get, that's get, for omelets that's later. That's omelets later. Making, making a souffle. Thank you. Thank you. That's what you're going to, oh, a souffle. Right? Yeah, I'm coming over. Got, I got, <laughs> My family's uh, French aristocrats. Okay. Yeah. So, so I would say let the kid grab the egg, and they'll learn. Something. Obviously, the egg will eventually break in their possession. Then they'll learn something. So it's possible for something to be hard, but fragile. But you were the, 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 not to not to get off off the book. But you were talking about you know being a child and and working with crooners. So. How did that experiment happen with you? How did that, this music, get into your life with with, with Sam Cooke well, and so, amongst the other crooners? So uh, <laughs> I, I'm old enough to remember that my first encounter with music that I cared about was um, basically the Beatles. Okay, I was, I was alive and, and a functioning human being when the Beatles landed. Uh, it was 1964, 67, around there, okay? And so I was six in 1964 because that's how old I am. And my parents were listening to crooners on their, on their stereo. And so the Beatles are very different, the Beatles and the whole pop music era mm -hmm. of that time, 
were very different from what they were listening to. But they were even pre-1950s, because that would have been Elvis Presley. And um, they went back to, to, of course, you know, Andy Williams, or, or that style, right, or Frank Sinatra. So that sort of thing. And I always sort of logged it in the back of my head. It's music, but that's for that's an older generation. Then I came to realize that the crooners, they have stories to tell. Yeah. And they tell it in highly interpretable ways. You know every word that they sing that comes out of their mouth. You're not wondering. There's no mumbling. Yeah, there, There's no is, slurring. This is the exact opposite of Little Uzi Vert. It is, it is, is the right opposite. <laughs> yeah, 100%. It is the opposite. <laughs> It's like, what are you, what, what? Wait, can I sing Blue Moon with you right now? This is the greatest Plus, I like the moon. What'd you do today, Josh? You know, just skit scattered with Neil deGrasse Tyson. So I'm thinking... So there's something, there's a lost bit of romance. Sure, no, when, completely. When the, the language gets slurred just for the sake of the beat. And the, by the way, those songs were fun. The, the, they're fun, okay? Yeah. Uh, there's the, the <laughs> there's that song, Mr. Bassman. You know, uh, you know, Mr. Bassman, thank you for putting the bass in that song because that's the song that we listened to when we fell in love. Yeah. Okay, that's the song. Okay. So the 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 bob bob the bob that that part of the song is just that's the love part of the song. So I, fine, they're all slices through that. But the fact is, at the end of the day, the crooner has a story to tell, and that story is going to be something you have experienced in your life or you're longing to experience in your life. So it connects in ways that I think most other songs don't i completely agree with that I, yeah. i'm sorry no I ca it can't they definitely romanticize life it's it's like every crooner that i've heard especially dealing with sam cook i mean you and can, his voice is so clear so clear so clear and, and it's but there's you can feel the passion it's palpable you know what i everything. wonder yeah. i wonder let me say something mystical if you will allow it. please oh please go mystical. okay could it be that Nat King Cole would have been Sam Cooke hmm. in a later generation, or Sam Cooke would have been Nat King Cole. So that there's sort of one sort of spirit energy moving through time, occupying the bodies of crooners that carry this thread of romantic communication through song in their craft. So, so I mean, I believe the, it. The question is: Is Sam Cooke just one person, or is he is he different people in each generation? And he just happens to touch you in that way in that time. But maybe there's his version today. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Is it Sam Smith? Sam Smith. Is it Sam Smith? He's 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 crooning. He's singing love. Sam's too white. He's way too white, dude. He's Irish. The guy has no pigment. He okay, way too white. Okay, I, he, I get he that. Have, he doesn't got that. There's a I difference. I get that. You need some. You got some there's, soul energy. Yeah, there's soul. You need and some I, you, soul. You mentioned Nat King Cole. Regardless of Nat King Cole was very straight laced. He was I mean, straight. There was, there was there was soul. There was you could okay. feel it. And the same thing with Sam Cooke. I mean, I think that's why. I first connected with Sam Cooke. The Uh first time I heard him. Because the first song that I really heard was A Change Gonna Come. Okay. Change Gonna Come. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I remember Rolling Stone magazine saying it was one of the greatest songs ever written. They did a list of, like, the top 500 songs. I'm almost positive. It's it's number one. What? Yeah, I'm almost positive. Because you could just feel it. Hence the same thing with this record. Okay. It's it's all there together. Is that it's all, is that Sam Cooke. And something else. The record is live. Yes. So when you're live, the artist has a different task. They're communicating with an audience that they know are receiving every syllable and every word and every uh, every um, every emotion. Everything. That, yeah. that he can put into the mic. They're there to yeah. receive it. No, I completely. And that was the funniest thing, too, that I noticed about this. Because a lot of this song... Well, here, let me just... We're doing album 439 out of 500. It's live at the Harlem Square Club by Sam Cooke. Recorded on January 12, 1963. Released, this is crazy, June 1985. Oh. It took years for this to come out. Uh-huh. That's funny that, that you said Harlem that. in Miami. In Miami, yes. Because yes. I, I thought it was Harlem, Harlem up in New York. In New York. I... Uh, first thing I had noticed from this was the sound of Sam's voice. I am used to, like you said, the crooners, this this beautiful, just, you know, elegant sound of his voice, smooth and perfect, and you hear... But you got to say smooth. You got to say the word... Smooth. 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 That's better. His okay. voice is smooth normally, and then you hear it, and he sounds like me. He sounds like a... Like a strip club DJ almost. He's like, all right, everybody. You guys ready to party tonight? And I'm like, that's Sam Cook. That's Sam. But I think that's why I think this album is so great because it's like you get every element of what makes him great. You get the... You do get the the beautiful, lovely songs. You get the 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 tonality of his voice, but you get that energy from the audience, which mm-hmm. made me like get up and dance. Like I I was listening to this on the plane ride over here, and I was like, I'm moving around, I'm shimmying, I'm in economy. I can't like shimmy in a when I'm stuck. With By the way, I don't people. think I don't think all live albums improve the songs that they sing. I think sometimes it's a distraction. Here, you feel the love and the resonance, and I Completely. think it works. Completely. All right, so let's dive into the record. All right, so 
it opens with him trying to get the crowd on his side. Like he's like, "Y'all ready to have a good time tonight?" And no, there's no energy from the crowd. Uh-huh. Just nothing. No one gives a shit. It is hysterical. Have you ever had that kind of situation where you're about to give like uh, a, a, a you know a talk and just the crowd is just. I, I- I never ask if they're with me. I put out. That's a great question because I do quote perform in yeah. theaters. I, I yes. give forty public talks a year in theaters, places where like The Lion King would have been yeah. a week before. Okay, <laughs> so there are thousands of people there. I don't ask, "Are you ready to have a good time?" Or are you? I don't ask that. Y'all ready to learn? <laughs> <laughs> you all ready for some astrophysics? <laughs> Let me hear it. For some- <laughs> Let me hear some astrophysics energy. No, no. Instead, it's just like I instead <laughs> I toss out, I toss out, I, I I experiment on the audience. Yeah, I give them something that's politically funny, or culturally funny, or culturally sensitive, or politically sensitive, and I monitor how they react to it. If there are things I know that are objectively funny. They're, they're battle-tested, but they don't laugh much. Okay, this is a more demure crowd. Yeah, I get to learn this on the fly, and that completely influences my choice of words and how I deliver it for the rest of the talk. Sure. Do you have one? You got, if you're a singer, you don't have that latitude. No, not at all. But he knows. I think also with Sam in this situation, like he knew he had – he was about to drop just a bomb on them of music and energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the album opens with Feel It. Uh, Peter, play 40 Seconds In from Dubai. All right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't fight the feeling. Fight the feeling, baby. Don't fight the feeling. Got to feel the feeling tonight. This is just such an incredible way to open this record. Uh, like it's, I said. Get off your ass and shake something. Get off your ass. Yeah, he shake is, something. He is literally just just saying, I want you guys to dance. Shake something. Yeah, and I can just imagine. You can kind of hear it because the crowd really starts getting into it. They start singing in the background. Uh, just a phenomenal song. Now, you gave your first public lecture on astronomy at the age of 15. Yeah. And, and now have made a... I just turned 15. Freshly well, you 15. Look, you, look, you actually look terrible for 15 year old buddy. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But you made a career of being able to communicate intricate subjects to simple people like me. When did you realize that you had the gift to articulate what was going on in the universe to more than just fellow smart people? Well, first, I think I'm a simple person. And so I can relate. Okay. That's first. Second, you called it a gift. That implies that I didn't work at it. I know you worked dup, at it. Dup, don't let me come across the table and <laughs> bitch slap you. Okay. Here, listen Fuck to me. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Here it is. So uh, I'll give a talk. Let's say it's a really good talk, and so the audience likes it. There are two categories of responses. One is, oh, you give me a great, that was a great talk. You look like you're having a good time up there on stage. Yeah. Okay. Another comment, category of comment is, you were working hard up there on stage. To a person, those are teachers, school teachers. They know what I'm doing. They feel it. They see it. They understand it. So, no, I think about how you think. And if I'm going to communicate, I need to know how you think. Because if I don't know how you think and I start talking, I'm lecturing. Yeah, it's a and, conversation, yeah. Right, and so, and only in college is the word lecture an okay word to invoke. I'm attending a lecture. Oh, good, what's it on? Outside of college? Don't lecture me. Why are you lecturing me? Why? 
lecture is a bad word. It's a four-letter word. Nobody wants to be lectured after college. So if you have a body of knowledge and that knowledge is to be imparted on others, you have to ask, how are you going to do it? You could write a wiki page and whoever comes to it comes to it. You can, you can, you can pontificate or you can communicate. I've made it a life's goal that if I'm called out to communicate with someone, I'm, to, to, to share my expertise, I'm going to do it in a way that communicates. And that requires you know and understand where that person is standing. What is driving their thinking? How is their brain wired? What influences might have uh, touched them so that when you come back to them, you can be sensitive to those influences? I don't mean sensitive, stay away. I mean sensitive, you know, you, you, can not, you would say something differently if you know someone's brain is wired in one way versus another. And this is how I, this is how I do it. My Twitter account, Every day I wake up and I said, you know, you guys, you realize you're following an astrophysicist. There's still time to unfollow if you want. <laughs> when I post, yeah, but you're a hip one, man. What, like, what, what, like uh, I mean, who's be- who's the cool? Who's cooler than you? Hold on. So I post something on Twitter and I see the replies, the responses in the thread. That is a neurosynaptic snapshot of people's reactions to words I've chosen, to humor I have attempted, to content that I'm trying to post unambiguously. If people misread what I wrote, I have failed. Yeah. If I think something's funny and it's not, or I think something's not funny and it is, I have failed. This is information for me to fold into the next time I communicate. So I originally didn't want a Twitter account. Why, it's a waste of time. I got other things to do. And I found out is a way to get inside of people's heads, in their mind, to understand how they're thinking and why they think what they do. And I use that to hone every next encounter I have with the public. Wow. Wow. Well, I don't know if I follow you on Twitter. <laughs> I should start. <laughs> I don't. I hate Twitter. <clears throat> I'm not good at it. I don't know how to condense everything into 145 The only words. time I complained someone didn't follow me was, was uh, the president, President Obama. Okay. Really? Yeah, he didn't follow He me. follows me. Obama follows a hundred thousand I know people. It's, I'm one of them a hundred thousand <laughs> what's half a hundred I forgot the number <clears throat> but the number seemed large enough so For I should have been there oh 100% <laughs> um all right so the song goes on you get to the end of the song and there's this call and response that that really I think takes the song to the next level uh they say that feelings aren't facts because you can feel that audience right there. But it seems so many people these days try to fight facts with feelings. Now, you're a, you've been an expert voice of fact-based reason for years. When did you first replace your own feelings with facts? Uh, when I was 17. What happened? I was at a funeral for a kid who was 17 who was the son of a friend of our family, but I never really played with him. They lived too far away, and... Um, but he's my age but I didn't remember him <clears throat> and there's a funeral held, he died of a brain ca- brain tumor brain cancer they held a, a funeral service in the chapel of the big church on Riverside Drive Riverside Church and I walk in the organ is playing very sad music 
the casket is closed because they had operated on his head multiple times and whatever. And so there's just a picture of him, his high school graduation picture. Okay, he was a senior. A bus pulls up with classmates, each one helping the next as they weep, stepping off the bus, walking into this chapel. And I'm watching this this whole thing unfold. And here's what went through my head. I said, oh, this is a really sad moment. And my eyes started watering. And I said, wait, I don't know this person. I don't know any of these other people walking into this chapel, okay? Or the the sad, you know, his friend. I don't know any of these. I don't know any of them. So why am I crying? Am I only crying because they're crying? Is that reason enough to cry? How many dead people are being buried today across the city, across the country, around the world? Am I weeping for them? Of course not. Neither is anyone else who isn't at those services who didn't know them. So should I weep for someone only because I am in the space where others are weeping for this person? And I said, I'm going to save my weeping for times when I feel something for that person. And I sucked the tears back up and just observed the entire ceremony anthropologically rather than emotionally. And it was, it, it was, I was, I was that kind of kid. I was a very, I was a geeky kid, yeah. very geeky. I, I did more thinking than feeling when I was a kid. That, that would change in a few years. Like when I was 19, that changed. But at that point, that's when I realized if all you did was feel in life, you'll do things that might not be justified if one day you have to make a decision that's based on objectively true information rather than your feelings. I viewed it as kind of a tentative place to be. So, yeah, that's what happened no, on that day. Yeah, no, I can, I see that. And and I think the source of the world's greatest art comes from the depth of feelings that people have had who created that art. Sure. Sam Cooke is feeling every word that comes out of his mouth. Oh, completely. You yeah, know it's it. It's palpable. Yeah, you really do feel it. Now oh, that's great. All right, moving on. Chain Gang. Uh, Peter, play a little bit of Chain Gang for me. The term chain gang comes from the chains that would lock all the prisoners up in a row to keep them from escaping. So my question to you wait, is... Wait, just to be clear. These are prisoners that are brought outside of the prison... Yes, yeah, they're not... To do work, municipal work, typically on roadsides. Yeah. Okay, so that's the chain gang. Sure. And you would have been more likely to have seen that in the South, where unions were not as strong as they were in the North... So when I first heard that song, I didn't know what Chain Gang was. I had to look it up. And then you see these people in striped outfits. Yeah. You know, with a, one person with a gun at a safe distance from them. Otherwise, they would just get overrun. Yeah. Right? So uh, the, with a Chain Gang, there's a – if they're doing something – some task that's similar, it was not uncommon for them to sing a song that would uh, – Kill time, make them feel... No, 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 not just to kill time, but they would do the labor 
to the rhythm of the song. Yeah. Okay. That's the sound of the ching, working on, on the, the ching. Ching. right. Yeah. Get, so it's everyone ja. moving in unison. So that yeah. may. So yes, it does help the time go, not just the time, but the labor, the, especially the labor part of it. And yeah, it makes you. It's an upbeat song. Yeah. I, well, that's what I think is so funny about it. Is just like it's you, you're finding something positive in such a negative situation. Um, or another thing that artists do well, I think art at its best takes something that is ordinary that you might not have even paused to reflect upon completely and raises it to the level of high art and you say wow i never thought about it that way before yeah. what's up everyone this is jay reason and i want to let you all know that diablo zen podcast is now part of the sound talent media family Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezak, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriol, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions and lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun. Hey, this is Chris Santos, host of Delirious Nomads, the Blacklight Media Podcast part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Delirious Nomads is a podcast about all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports. And me being a chef and all, we'll be riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Well, let me ask you this. What chains would you like to see humankind break out of? Our, it's a great question. Metaphorical chains, of course. I would Mm -hmm. say... We need to learn how to understand what science is and how and why it works. And the change, where, the, the, the change that shackle us are primal urges that are the undoings of civilizations if they're left to their own motives. So think about it. You have an urge to sort of steal something if no one's looking, okay? A, a pack of candy. Well, but civilization puts constraints on that. If you were just walked out of a cave and you saw food and you're hungry, you're just going to take the food. You're not going to think about laws or rules or punishment. or It's just food. So in a way, civilization is everything that we've agreed to that prevents us from behaving in primal ways. I mean, think about it. That's... That's my personal definition of what civilization is. So if one of the primal ways is I want this to be true because I feel like it should be true and I will fight you, I will go to war over it, that is primal. It's tribal primal. What's an example of that? Nazi Germany. I believe we are the superior race and this is a belief system a dogmatic belief system, and they went to war based on that belief system. That's tribal. That is, that conflicts with what civilization needs to accomplish for it to progress and not have us regress back into a cave. So what are the shackles? It's having us behave in ways that are good for the species in spite of of the ways our species wants to behave that would be good for the individual. And a little thing, if you do someone a favor, they say, oh, how can I return you the favor? Try not to ever have someone return you a favor. Yeah. Because you know what that does? That closes a loop, never to be opened again. 
Just say, do someone else a favor. There are some people that Pass owe me that. favors, though, and I want what? them to do those favors for me, okay? I, I pick people up from the airport. They owe me that pickup from the airport. All right. That goes into... Just pass it forward, and then it's an eternally exactly. moving exactly. bit of goodness in the Listen, world. Listen, I'm not wrong, though. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Lewis, <laughs> you owe me a ride to the airport. That goes into Cupid. Uh, great song. Uh, the chorus is so iconic, but I want you to play a little bit of the verse because it's so beautiful. I don't mean to bother you, but I'm in distress. And that's danger of me losing all of my happiness. For I love a girl who doesn't know I exist. I just thought Cupid was just a weird thing. The idea of Cupid, yeah. Just Here's this like cherubic baby in a, in a diaper with that's still pooping in a diaper <laughs> that has wings on its back that are aerodynamically useless given how chubby the baby is, and then they want to shoot you with an arrow, which I associate <laughs> with wanting to kill. What it is? An arrow shooting. of love, Neil. Yeah, of, of <laughs> love. I said a, I was a literal kid, didn't I tell you? Yeah, I was, I was a I was a geeky literal kid. So when <laughs> I breaking down Cupid, <laughs> the guy's like, uh, dude, it's it's just, just we're just trying to sell candy, bro. We're just, well, this song, uh, Cook, a very successful song, very successful song. Cook originally wrote this in '61 for a female artist his producer saw on the Perry Como show, but kept it after they heard her sing. Cupid's mythological origins go back to 320 BC, where as the Greek god Eros, he represented our desires and attractions. And now, like you said, he just hawks greeting cards and chocolate once a year. <laughs> um, and flowers. How do you explain the soul through science? So just because you have a word for something doesn't mean it is an objectively real thing okay so for example how do you explain ghosts through science well you're assuming ghosts exist now you want science to explain it so just because you can compose a sentence with verbs and nouns and adjectives in a sequence ended with a period doesn't mean it's a thing that is real that science needs to then investigate just Mm -hmm. that's a general fact okay you, can, you might ask, uh, when will science tell me what the square root of a chocolate cake is? This is not, I don't care that you composed a sentence. The good thing about math and science is that we learn how to establish the right questions beyond even what answers we might ultimately arrive at. Okay, so now, the soul, long believed to be there by religions, all right? Did you know that 120 years ago, when the X-ray machine was invented, and X-rays were discovered by Wilhelm Röntgen, in fact, they called Röntgen rays in, in Germany, and the very first Nobel Prize for Physics went to Wilhelm Röntgen for his discovery of X-rays, the first thing religious, devout religious people thought to do was, let's see if we can find the soul, leaving the body of a dying person. Wow. Went straight to the hospital found people who were on their deathbed, set up the machine, x-rayed them before they died. They look at the bones and what's inside the body. It's not good for organs because x-rays are better for for bones. For for hard tissue rather oh, yeah. for hard substance rather than soft tissue. But they did it and then the person dies, they didn't see anything leaving the body. Got to hand it to them for wanting to experiment. I mean I 
there was no difference at all? Like there's no, they didn't see no difference at all. Nothing. Not via X-rays. Yeah. Maybe there's some other rays you can use that would discover the soul. But experiments conducted thus far has not revealed any experimentally verifiable existence of a soul. So now you're going to say, well, I'm religious, and my religion tells me I have a soul. So that's a belief system. So that's a personal truth. You have a soul, and you are certain, and Jesus is your Savior, and you've been devout, and you're going to heaven, and no one's going to take that from you. Not in a free society where you have free expression of religion. So I don't have a problem with you thinking and feeling that way. But just because you think and feel that way does not mean that what you think and feel is true is an objectively true thing in this world. And to be objectively true, rather than be your personal truth, is that it needs to be established outside of you so that others can see, oh, I see, that's true. And people who don't share your same religious traditions would agree to what is true and what is not. The people who don't share your religious tradition will not agree with you about the soul or about heaven or hell or Jesus or the Bible. Yeah. You get animists. None of that is in there. They have an entire other system of worship that also involves ancestors, which you don't have. Ancestors are not a big part of uh, uh, Christian traditions. It's all. It's a different approach. So you might say, well, maybe one day we'll discover a soul. That, that's possible, I suppose. But nothing put forth yet has taken us there. All right, moving on. It's all right for sentimental reasons. He opens up uh, like having to give the the audience advice uh, to not like, uh, you know, it's really literally is like, you know, all right, ladies and gentlemen, don't hit your wives. Talk to them. All right, two, three, four. You're like, Jesus Christ. Like you had to give that kind of PSA like at a concert. Uh, in 1964? Time. Different times, yeah, no. Okay, what was, uh, in the Honeymooners, what was Ralph Cranston's oh, yeah, dude, it's, sing- singular gesture? Does not hold up, bro. Bang, <laughs> zoom, to the moon, Alice. He's threatening to punch her so hard, she leaves Earth's gravitational field and lands on the moon. <laughs> it's so weird having and you break people that down laughed, like that. And people <laughs> laughed at that. Okay, so... Uh, yeah, I think you needed warnings like this at the time. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Okay. But the real thing that made me love about this song is that you really can hear the passion in Sam's voice. Let's uh, do it. Peter, play 245 for me. It's all right. I don't care what they say about you, baby. It's all right. It's all right. So this romantic medley is about trusting your partner, even if you have heard rumors or have proof that they have been unfaithful. In my opinion, this is a perfect songs. It's a medley of two, uh, and I feel like uh, It's All Right is a little bit better of the two, but it's just so great. Um, and I think one of the best- Again, it's a real life situation. You're going to be in situations like that, of the storyline of that song. Sure. And so uh, we- we had, songs can be so influential on us. We remember the song at the prom. We remember where you were when you first heard one song or what you felt like. Songs have a way of penetrating the neuro, the, the, the matrix of neurosynapses of your brain that immediately bring back memories. Yeah, It's not just, oh, I remember that song. So I remember the song and the memory of who I was with, what I was smelling at the time, what I felt like. 
It's all there. When I when I listen, the way you store yeah. songs in the memory. When I listen to Lauren Hill's got, Miseducation of Lauren Hill, yeah, I because I, I backpacked through Europe when I was eighteen, and the second I hear that album, it's like I just remember. I just I feel like I'm there. It's like you get that that you know that that if I I think smells a little bit stronger, but music definitely takes me back too. Yeah, they both. Sorry, I should have said they both have similar effects on your because if i smell uh, cool water you know I resur- go resurrecting back to your memory as well mm-hmm. all right let's take it to twisting the night away uh so this 62 single had sam jumping on the bandwagon of the dance phenomenon the twist which was popularized by chubby checker in 1960 uh there had already been over 30 twist songs when this version went to number one you'd think that they'd stop after 26 because but now take it to 30 this went to number one on the R&B charts and number nine on the pop charts. Uh, this part right here is probably my favorite part of the record. Play 102. Got with the chicken slacks. That chicks are moving up and back. Oh man, there ain't nothing like twisting The line is, he's dancing with a chicken slacks. Do you know, for... For most of my life, I thought it was chicken slacks. <laughs> like, first, I've been singing that. Like, I was like, what? Is there this whole style of animal clothing that I've never chicken heard slacks? of before? Chicken slacks? We got turkey tassels. <laughs> um, <laughs> great song, right? Yeah. Gotta, oh, you gotta, yeah. You gotta love Again, it gets you up and you gotta shake something. Yeah, Even if you don't expressly follow the rules of the twist. You're gonna you're gonna shake something to that song. You know what's funny? The twist is is one of those dances that anybody can do. Do you know what I mean? Um, were you ever late to the game of any theory or school of thinking? Hmm. Hmm. Yes. I was late to appreciate that AI will always get out of a box you put it in, no matter what. So what you thought that if you put it in a box, it would stay there? Yeah, I thought you can just take AI because you're worried that it might become your overlord. Yeah. You, and you created it. So you just put it in a box, seal it, and then it'll just stay there. You let out when you want, but you keep it in a box. The AI gets out of the box every time. Really? I'm, I'm a little late on that one. So what are you saying? This is where, where there's going to be Terminators? <laughs> is that what you're There's saying? no reason for them to look human. John Connor around here because we need him, dude. <laughs> From the late looks of the last Terminator, you need Sarah Connor to take You're right. People out. Yeah, I don't think you know. Yeah. I, I, you know, Linda Hamilton far stronger than Edward Furlong. <laughs> if we're breaking it down to the take actors, it down to the brass tacks. There you go. So, but well, what does that mean? So that so like how is that? You no, know, I used to think that we you could keep AI contained in a room in a box, but I, I'm I'm certain now you can't. It will get out of the box every single time. It'll just fool you because it's smarter than you. It's smarter than you. So it will tell you things that will convince you you should let it out. And another one was whether we're in a simulation. I no longer think we're living in a simulation. I'm, I'm a little late to that. But there's still many people who think we are. But that, those are recent revelations, like in the last couple of months. Can I, can I tell me. you something? If this is uh, a simulation, whoever is doing it is doing a great job with me, man. I am <laughs> loving this. Uh, like, <laughs> it's great. It's great. You, I love- it means you're entertaining the programmer oh, he, so that yeah, they don't he, have to mess with you. Uh, they, they, <laughs> it's good to keep you alive and healthy. Yeah. All right. 
No, no need goes, to kill you off. No, not right yet. Now. Not yet. Uh, like that goes into somebody have mercy. Uh, it's more of the same. Just a fun party song. But I want you to hear this sax solo because it steals the show. Peter, play uh, two fourteen. <laughs> Okay, so just to just to be clear, there is a genre of song, which is the upbeat song, such as this is, where nearly a hundred percent of them between nineteen fifty six and nineteen sixty three had a saxophone solo in it. Yeah, it, it, you can't go wrong. Almost with a sax every solo. one of yeah. almost you know, rock around the clock. You just go. All these songs had saxophone solos, so you just wait for the. It's like in the disco era, they all had a musical break where it was just percussion. Yeah. With no, they stopped the singing and just, and so that way you'd go out and do the solo disco dance. Were you a big disco if, guy? I would, yeah. <laughs> yeah, see yeah you I had, with the I, butterfly collar. I had like... disco pants, yes. <laughs> just... Are there questionable photos of you out there just like <laughs> rhinestoned up and just like, hey, you I, can do what you do. I had do. disco pants. Good for you. So. <laughs> So, but I could also dance. I was I was more a dancer than I was. Oh, I bet you kill thing. a wedding. So, so, but I don't dance anymore because then people just put it on the internet. And there's one short clip of me dancing. Yeah. Then I that was early in like the YouTube era. Then I realized that's what people are gonna do. I'm not. I'm gonna not dance for anyone anymore because I used to dance. <laughs> I don't anymore. So, so, uh, so yeah. That that that's a sick saxophone solo. Sick solo. But. It's less totally sick because it was almost obligatory in the song. Uh, completely. Completely. Fantastic song. All right, now. Yes. We've come to my favorite song on the record. Bring it on home to me. Uh, what I love is that Sam doesn't let the audience lose energy between songs. First of all, he segues almost every song with improvisational uh, asides and some loose music moments. Like this short little excerpt from his number one hit. Like he starts singing You Send Me just to get the crowd into it. and Because they, they know that song. Exactly. Yeah. But, but he, then he drops Bring It On Home to Me. Kick it! You know that I'd slide But should you ride What did you do? Oh, you stayed out You just stayed out late at night I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy with with one of the best voices in music, and you can feel just the passion in every single note that he is singing. Then you have this incredible call and response, and it, it just, honest to God, like when I was listening to this, you were talking about the way that the feelings that you get, and, and that hit me, and it was like, and that was the moment I was like, yeah, this, this album deserves to be on this list, because it is that good. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Um, any thoughts? Oh, by the way, so you know you're really interacting with the crowd when you might not have otherwise sung anything, 
but you speak melodically to get you to the next stanza. So he's bridging yeah. one stanza to another stanza, but wants to make sure he's still got he's got you. He's talking to you at every note. Yeah. So that's good, and I I just I like that. I, I think that I listen. It's a live I, energy. I have never heard the actual version of this, the studio version. I don't know if I want to. I don't I, think it I can't need can't possibly have that. That's listen just, to you're, 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 if you if you're in a studio, you're not saying listen to me. No, there ain't nobody there listening to you except the engineer <laughs> and the, the engineer is like, All right, right. Who, who are you talking to, Sam? <laughs> What was that? Okay, just you're talking to the people that aren't there. Right. Um, pro- I mean, and I know it is It is my favorite song. By the way, I'm the betting record. that those lines are not in the script. All right, that goes into Nothing Can Change This Love. Uh, a perfect song. Oh, by uh, the way, just a quick book segue. Please. All of these themes are, are issues that we all have in our lives. Love, lost, um, angst. And that's coming from the same place that the people who wrote, wrote the letters to me in this book. I just want to say. So one could go to this book and write no end of songs based on the emotion that's expressed in this book. That's all I'm saying. That's, we knew. That's we all, knew. That's, that's why saying. we brought you on. That's all I'm saying. So the last two songs, I want to talk specifically about the last song on the record, Having a Party. Up until his death in 64, this was his concert closer. Uh, and he would bring all of his opening acts to participate. He'd throw com- confetti, and he'd keep the party going. And and you can hear why it's a way to end a concert, because it's just incredible. Peter, play 257. I mean, you can hear the crowd going apeshit bananas. Uh, so what happens there is there's... Is there a scientific term for what's going on in that? Yeah, it's called <laughs> apeshit bananas. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. We You're being awesome. primates ourselves, that would be the reference, apeshit bananas. <laughs> if we were butterflies, we'd call it something else. It would be uh, larvae metamorphosis bananas, whatever. Right. Uh, so uh, that last song, of course all the instruments are coming in. There's an yeah. energy level that has risen. And when that happens, everybody's standing. You got to... I mean, you feel it. Yeah. You, you a- def- and he can sustain that for as long as he feels he needs to. Oh, he can play this song for 20 minutes Correct. if he wants to. Correct. That's And that's why. Now, uh, this is kind of a weird uh, question, but just to keep our party going, how do you think the world will end? <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to Can ask. you be more specific about the word it, world? Um... Human life on Earth? Yeah, let's do Earth, human life. Let's the do solar hum- system? All right. What, the what, universe? Which one do you have a better answer for? No, they, they all have answers. <laughs> um, should we, wait, what should, let's do uh, human life. Human life. So if we don't become better shepherds of our own civilization and its relationship to the biosphere, we could be have already planted the seeds of our own extinction. Oh, I believe. No, I believe that. Yeah, uh, was, so then we wouldn't get to see... You know, the future of the universe beyond just the last Mohican, right? Should we be worried, like us, like uh, like like me, being alive? Or is this more of like a generational thing, like a few down? Is it oh, getting close? Yeah. Do you oh, know what I mean? No. Is it I only just a later generation? Should I worry about this? Or is it for them to <laughs> figure out? Terrible? <laughs> yeah, that is really, really terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I do my part. I do As my they part. say, you have borrowed the earth yeah. from the generations yet to come. No, you're right. You're right. I do a very good. I'm really, like, when my dog takes a shit, I pick it up, pick the poop up. Uh, I recycle. 
Um, <laughs> I was wondering I, what, how aliens would view that. It's, it would no, they would so say, weird. who's in charge? The dog. Humans or dogs? Dogs the dog, are in charge. The dog is in charge. The human goes out to get food for the dog. The dog sits there on the couch all day yeah. and waits for you to come home and then pretends they like you and then you feed them. Okay, let me, let me take it here. You clean up their poop? Let me, let me take it here, though, because what about the universe? The whole, like, this, just Earth. Like how- it will expand forever. And, then it'll and the temperature of the universe will continuously cool until it approaches and hits absolute zero. No! So the universe will end not That was a great with Keanu a bang, Reeves movie, Absolute Zero. But with a winter, with a whimper, and not in fire but in ice. All right, let's do some facts. You want to do some facts? Facts are good. Let's do some facts. All right. <laughs> the only show that Sam Cooke ever canceled was in Memphis, Tennessee. He did that after being informed by the local NAACP that his show would be segregated and that his black fans would be limited to one-fourth of the audience and could only sit in one balcony area. Um, how has your upbringing influenced the way you look at others? Uh, my father was a active in the civil rights movement and the idea that there's a future for America that resembles what Martin Luther King spoke of mm-hmm. everyone is around the table and holding hands that was a very real dream for me even though at the time that's not what I was experiencing of course this was the 1960s so the opening letter in this book is my letter to NASA where why? Because, not when I was a kid. I wrote it last year. I wrote it because we both turned 60 last year because that's how old I am. That's how old NASA is. And I just wanted NASA to know that the 1960s looked different to me than it did to them. To NASA, it was Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, moon landing. To me, it was picketers outside of my apartment building where we were going to move into. This is before the the housing, amend- the housing Rights Act mm-hmm. was passed. So... So uh, my father would share stories with me of uh, racist attitudes of society and institutional racism as well as individual racism. He was never bitter about it. He used it as a means to excel that much more in his own profile, his own achievements. My father used to run track. And after college... If you're still going to run and compete, it mattered that you were still had an amateur status. This is in a day when amateur designation was very important. The mm-hmm. Olympics was all amateurs. And so how would you do this if you didn't have a sanctioning entity? So you'd join an athletic club. Oh, wait a minute. The New York Athletic Club was only white Anglo-Saxon Protestant males. Okay. So what do you do? There was another club called the Pioneer Club, which took everybody who was not admitted to the New York Athletic Club. Those were blacks and Jews. My father ran alongside Jews in the Pioneer Club in the 19, late 1940s and 1950s uh, after he got out of college. Okay, In one of the meets, a buddy of his named Johnny Johnson. Great name. Johnny Johnson, great name. Was coming around the back stretch ahead of a white runner from the New York Athletic Club. The coach of the white runner yells out to him audibly, catch that nigger. Johnny Johnson heard this. Johnny Johnson said to himself, well, this is one nigga he ain't going to catch. <laughs> increased his distance yeah. to the finish line, winning by a larger margin than he otherwise would have. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Today, what we call microaggressions were back then moments to use to feed into what it is you could be, to enhance whatever talents you were honing. And so this is how I have carried those stories forward. And they're in this book. I, I, the, the book ends with, oh, so the NASA letter contrasts the multiple Americas of the 1960s, the one I experienced and the one NASA experienced. That's the prologue. The epilogue is a letter I wrote to my father that I read to those assembled at his, at his memorial service. And it's in the form of a letter to him for others to hear. And I talk about what he did that influenced my life. And there, you can influence someone without being their mentor necessarily. You can influence someone by example. What did you say? What did you do? How did you conduct yourself under these situations? If that's visible to me, that can still influence me without him sitting me down and saying, let me teach you a lesson today, my son. No, it was more than that. So, so, so yeah. Uh, would I have not given the concert? Um, I don't know in the day if that's the only way my black community can see me is through these laws, but they can, they're still admitted in there. I don't know that I would have been so noble as Sam Cooke was and had canceled the concert. <clears throat> what I might have done is say, how about this? Let's not make it a fourth. Let's make it half the audience. Negotiate. Negotiate, yeah. yeah. You could just reject it all, but then... I wouldn't do that unless I knew things would change for me having and done the, so. And that, that wouldn't have done uh, And this is the South, yeah. and it's Jim Crow South. What are you doing, yeah. right? So so I don't know how I would have reacted under those conditions. Sure, sure. All right. On December 11th, 1964, at the age of 33, Sam Cooke was shot and killed by Bertha Franklin, the manager of the Hacienda Motel in Los Angeles, after he stormed into her office wearing a sport jacket and one shoe and nothing else. Although there have been lots of questions about exactly what happened, the courts ruled it to be a justifiable homicide. If you could answer one question, any question, and know definitively, what would it be and why? About that case? Not about the case, just in life in general. Oh, just in, if I had just one question? Sure. If we are the only species of life to achieve what we have defined as intelligence out of all species that have ever lived. Is that sufficient intelligence to actually decode the full operations of the known universe? Might there be questions that we don't even know to ask because our intellect is not advanced enough to see it that's the question I would want answered and what if the answer was just seven <laughs> just something like really that's incredible man yeah I I, I just it's so the answer would be 42 42 so, yeah. I knew it dude uh, but, dude. but there's so many things like I mean you know that just blow your mind when you try to think about human life and, and how and why it's like how do you how do you keep your brain with all this stuff that you know from just going like apeshit bananas? Oh, that's a that's a desired state. 
I, we should all have our mind blown every day. If not once, once a day, certainly once a week. Yeah. If it's not blown once a week, it means you're not out there exploring things that you don't know. And think about how comfort, comfortable it is to stay within what you know. That's yeah. comfortable. Why don't you be a little uncomfortable every now and then? Uh, my, one of my favorite posters I saw, it said, order something from a, at a restaurant that you, order a dish at a restaurant that you can't pronounce. If you did that every time you ate out, my gosh, how diversified your culinary uh, uh, olfactory experiences would become for yeah. having done so. Read a book on a subject that is just so out there that you never thought you'd care about it. Just pick it up. Try it. Most of what I do is stepping into a place where I've never been before. And that way you become a lifelong learner. And occasionally you'll get your mind blown. This that's a perfect way to end this. Thank you so much. I'm happy to serve. Oh, you are you are the man. Having a space show, rocking in the ski doo da ba dee ba scoo. The one and only Neil deGrasse Tyson. Find Neil on Twitter at Neil Tyson, and you can find him on Instagram at Neil deGrasse Tyson. Don't miss season two of Cosmos coming up in March 2020 and get his new book, Letters from an Astrophysicist, which you can find anywhere you get your books. I'll also be posting Neil's Spotify mixtape, and that'll be on our website, the500podcast.com. Now, we just listened to Sam Cooke from 1963. For new music this week, our music director, Little Matty Pinfield, selected Leon Bridges. Leon Bridges is a soul singer from Fort Worth, Texas, with humble beginnings. As a dishwasher, he performed countless open mic nights before catching his big break and getting signed to Columbia Records. His soul heroes include Sam Cooke, Otis Redding, and Donny Hathaway. His debut album, Coming Home, was nominated for Best R&B Album at the 58th Grammy Awards in 2016. And you can visit Spotify and check out Leon's tracks like Beyond and his latest single, That Was Yesterday. And you can check out the link on the website, the500podcast.com. And if you're in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500 website, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is The Cure Week with their 1980 album, Boys Don't Cry. You got some homework to do. Listen to the album on Spotify. Stay Stay fleecy. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. 
Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Next Chapter Podcasts.